Thanks, band. Have you ever wished that God would speak to you? Have you ever hoped or, or, or asked him to do something like to part the clouds and to speak in an audible voice so that it was clear beyond any doubt that it was him speaking to you? Or maybe today's song really resonated with you. You don't know if that you can believe or, or maybe you feel like you have to just guess what's on God's mind. Maybe that's where you're coming from. I know, uh, especially as a kid, I had many of those desires, wishing God would, would just speak to me audibly, maybe like different ways I saw in the Old Testament, God speaking audibly to his people, uh, to prophets, to, to kings, to priests, things like that. I think it's a very common desire. We want to know God. We want to hear from him. We want to know his will for our life. We want to know if he's real. We want to hear from him. We want to know that that is his word that we are hearing. Today we're going to look at a group of people that are very similar to us, asking those same questions, having those same desires, living in a thriving urban city, very similar to our own, in a city that was full of all different kinds of worldviews and philosophies and religions, all claiming that they had truth, all claiming that they had the words of God. And they, just like many of us, they wanted to hear from God. They wanted to know which of these words were just from men, were just made up, were just ideas, which of these words were from God. This group I'm talking about, they eventually became the church in a city called Thessalonica, some 2,000 years in ancient uh, Greece. My name is Spencer, and I'm, I'm one of the pastors here. And if you're brand new, we are uh, in a book of the Bible, uh, in a sermon series that's studying uh, or called First Thessalonians. And so it is a letter written back to the same church, the same group of people that I was talking about. And in case you're new to the Bible or new to this series, if this is your first time here, or just for review for the rest of us, uh, First Thessalonians, it's a letter written from a pastor slash church planner, written back to the church that he planted, that he loved, and that he had to leave. So this letter is written by a guy named the Apostle Paul. We're going to talk a little bit about him. He's got a pretty uh, incredible beard there. Um, so this guy's, this guy's name is Paul. He used to be a very zealous, a powerful Jewish religious leader. And he uh, thought he was serving God, and he hated this Jesus and the people that followed him. And he thought he was serving God, and he was uh, hunting down these Christians. He, would, uh, he, he was at even a few of these uh, Christians' murders. He'd hunt people down, and if they didn't renounce their faith, if they didn't deny Christ, he'd haul them off into jail away from their family. So essentially, he really was a terrorist, a terrorist against Christians, bringing terror and fear and trying to get Christians to deny their faith and to leave, uh, leave the church, leave following Jesus. So that's this guy. And then one day, Jesus showed up. He was on his way to a different city to arrest different Christians and throw them in jail when Jesus showed up. And he knocked Paul off of his horse and he spoke to him and Paul was converted. Paul was saved. He was transformed overnight. We're going to see the same theme again today in our passage. We're going to see God speaking and then we're going to see the Holy Spirit moving and changing that person and then we're going to see a conversion, and then from then on, life being completely different. And we see that with this guy. This guy went from being a terrorist 
a killer of Christians, a persecutor of the church, maybe rival to no one else. And then overnight, Jesus saved him, and he ends up becoming one of the greatest global missionaries and church planners in the whole New Testament, and maybe even ever. So we're going to see this, this same theme play out today in our passage. So now fast forward the story. Jesus uh, saves Paul. He's converted. He changes. And then the Holy Spirit empowers him and sends him out. And this guy goes all over uh, the ancient world, and so you see all these different arrows. Paul did uh, three main big missionary journeys. So he was sent to all these different uh, cities, and he'd go there. He'd preach the gospel. A lot of people would believe, and a lot of people would reject him as well. A church would be formed. He'd establish leaders, raise up leaders. And then after a few months or a few years, he'd move on to the next church. So you see all these arrows. Those are uh, kind of his, his three different missionary journeys. And that big yellow arrow is pointing to Thessalonica. So Paul ends up in Thessalonica just like many other cities that he's been in. He preaches the gospel. He tells the people in Thessalonica, hey, this, this guy that the Jews crucified, he actually was the Messiah. He actually was this king. He was this, this sent one, this rescuer that was going to uh, save us from our sins, that was going to bring us back to God. And, and Paul argued that from the Old Testament. And uh, a, a church happened. People converted. A church was born. A church was planted. And it grew up. But it also created lots and lots of opposition. There's lots of uh, Jewish religious leaders that didn't like that and created a mob and actually kicked Paul and a couple of Paul's companions out of the church. So there's a church that's born, that's growing, that's thriving, yet is suffering and is under persecution. And its church planter, its pastor, he's actually far away. And he's missing them and he loves them dearly and he's writing a letter back to them, which is the book of First Thessalonians. So... That's what we're going to be looking at today. We're going to be in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We've been in uh, this book for, for a, about a month now. We're going to kind of pick it up mid-Thanksgiving. So Paul is writing to them, and he's saying, I'm thanking God because of you for, for many different reasons. And we kinda, uh, we're going to pick it up in verse 13, kind of mid-idea, mid although he's talking about another reason why he's thankful for this church. So when you see the words we today in the passage, think Paul, the pastor, the church planner that's writing back to them, him and a couple of his colleagues that helped and then were kicked out. And then when you see the word uh, you, he's speaking to the church. So you can turn your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians 2, uh, verses 13 through 16. It's up there on the screen as well, and it's inside uh, your worship folder, that, that insert as well, if you would like to follow along. Let's read, starting in verse 13. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So as always, to fill up the measure of their sins, but God's wrath has come upon them at last. Let's pray before we start here. 
God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you speak to us, that you speak to your churches. It's not just a mystery. We don't have to just guess what's on your mind. So, Spirit, we pray, just like you did to the church in Thessalonica, that you would move in our hearts, that you would give us eyes to see, that you would enlighten us and teach us what you have for us today. pray this in your name. Amen. So today's passage, it starts off by saying that God speaks. God is not just a God of mystery and just a God of silence, but he's a God that speaks. He wants to talk to his people. He wants people to know who he is. Starting in verse 13, so this is Paul again saying, and we also thank God constantly for this. This is what another thing that we're really thankful for, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God. So like I said, when Paul showed up in Thessalonica, he preached to them, he preached the gospel, he said, this Jesus whom uh, the Jewish leaders crucified, the Romans crucified, he really was the Messiah, the Christ, the coming king, the coming savior, the coming rescuer. And Paul didn't just share his own ideas, he didn't just share his philosophy, his wisdom, but he argued from scripture, and God was speaking through him. He, called, he says right here, he was not speaking the words of men, but actually what he was speaking were the words of God. And God does speak to humanity, and he speaks to us here today. Unlike the Mumford and Sons song, we don't have to guess what it, what's on his mind. We don't just sit there in silence trying to figure out what he has to say to us. But he speaks to us through his word. So these words here in the Bible, we're going to use these words interchangeably today. Scripture, the Bible, or his word, so it actually is God's word. They're not just Paul's words, not just Moses's or John's or Luke's, but it actually is God's word inspiring these authors as, as they wrote down these letters and these narratives and these books of wisdom. And the church saw that. They realized that what Paul was saying, he wasn't just saying another philosophy. He wasn't just saying another worldview or another uh, type of belief system that was similar or that was going around. Remember, Thessalonica was a port city, lots of people coming in and out to trade. So many, many different ideas and philosophies, religions, worldviews were going on. But they realized that the gospel that Paul was preaching was actually the word of God, not just of men. They realized that the Holy Spirit was speaking through Paul, just like he's speaking to us here today. If you didn't know this, here at Hiawatha, we strongly, strongly value the word of God. We have a very high view of Scripture because we really do believe it's God's word to us. God wants to speak to Hiawatha Church. He wants us to know about him, and he speaks to us through his word. In our statement of faith, we say this, speaking of the Bible, we believe that the Bible is the word of God, fully inspired, without error in the original manuscript. So we believe that the Bible doesn't have errors in it. We believe that we can trust it because it is without errors in the original manuscript, written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So even though Paul is speaking, or in this letter today, Paul is writing, he's inspired by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is empowering the, the prophets, the priests, the kings, the authors, the pastors in the word of God. So it's inspired. So these are not just Paul's words. Actually, Paul said a lot of words. Paul has many letters written to the church, many of them even referenced in here, but we don't have them. And so not all of Paul's words are scripture. Not all of Paul's words or Moses' words or Luke or John's words are scripture. 
where we believe that these ones are inspired by the Holy Spirit and that it has supreme authority over our lives in all matters of faith and conduct. So that means that we believe, and I want to encourage us again to, to believe this again because many of us have forgotten or practically we're not living this out, giving the Bible final authority in our life, especially over matters of faith and conduct. More authority than our experiences, more authority than our emotions, our preferences, our own traditions or the traditions we've been a part of, our own philosophy, but rather making the Bible our final authority, submitting to it even when we don't like it, even when it's scary, even when it offends us, even when it speaks to us and convicts us in, in ways that we just don't want to submit to. But back again to my original question today. Do you want to hear God speaking to you? Chris shared this quote a few weeks ago, but John Piper, a pastor here in the Twin Cities, he tweeted out a few weeks, a few months ago, he said, do you want to hear God speak? Then read the Bible aloud. So much truth there. God wants to be known. He, he teaches us about him through nature and through our conscience. He does that a little bit, but he especially wants to teach us through his word. He spends thousands and thousands of pages and words trying to tell us who he is, his character, his plan for us. And we need to remember, too, that he is the hero of this story. This book is about him. It's very easy for us, especially in American Christianity, that's very individualistic to think, hey, what does this passage mean to me? Or how am I a character in this passage? Rather than seeing this Bible, Spencer's not the hero of this. Jesus is the hero of this. This is a story about him. So that's a big reason, too, us valuing Scripture so much and believing that this is actually God's words to us. That's why we value Scripture so highly here at Hiawatha. And we preach expositionally, which just means most of the time we take a big chunk of Scripture and preach through it. So sometimes we do topically and we always want to back it up with Scripture. It's never just Chris's ideas or Spencer's ideas. We want to use Scripture. But that's a big reason why we preach through books of the Bible, so that we don't just preach our, our topics that we really personally like, and we don't just skip over hard passages, but we start at the beginning and preach through because we believe every word in there God put in there for a reason, and that he does want to speak to us. We believe here at Hiawatha that God wants us to hear him, that he wants us to read about him, to listen to him, to hear his words, like the Thessalonian church did, to receive his words and accept his words, to memorize them, to meditate on them, and to be given life through his words. Does that describe you today? Check your heart. Is, is that a good descriptor of who you are and how you view the Bible, how you view God's words? Are you receiving scripture, the Bible, just like the Thessalonian church did? We read that they received it and that they accepted it. And that uh, Paul knows that they did, that they did receive the Bible and accept the Bible because it was leading to good works in them. He says, we know that you received it and accepted the word of God because it is at work in you. And we see later the fruit of that, that this church is thriving and surviving amidst persecution, amidst suffering, because they did accept God's word as from God. 
There's lots of other voices in this Thessalonian culture, city, just like there is here. Lots of other competing voices saying, this is what God wants for you, or this is what your life should be like. But just like the Thessalonian church, we have the option of choosing, are these just words of man, or are these words of God to us? You maybe have seen this poster around, around the city, God is still speaking. And that's, that's supposed to be a comma there, that big black thing, if, if you didn't catch that. Um, so is God still speaking? I've been telling you all morning that God wants to talk to you, that God does talk to you. So is God still speaking? Is, is, this, is this poster true? Well, kind of, right? It, it depends on what you mean by God is still speaking. So yes, God does still communicate with us. He speaks to us through his spirit, you know, in our minds and in our hearts. We can hear the, the, and feel the spirit prompting us. He speaks to us through his church when we gather together and study the Bible and pray for each other and have conversations. He often speaks to us through those, but always, always it has to be confirmed by his word. This is the ultimate authority. So even if Christian friends are giving you advice, they're saying this is a word from God, if it doesn't line up with scripture, it's not from God. Or if you feel something in your heart and you think this must be the Holy Spirit guiding me or leading me or telling me to do this, but it doesn't match with scripture, it's not really from God. So it depends on what you mean by God is still speaking. Yes, he still speaks to us through his word. He does speak to us through his, uh, his spirit and through the church, but it's always confirmed by his word. But no, God is not speaking anything new. He's not sharing something new. He's not changing things. So it depends on what you mean by is God still speaking. The poster continues by saying, uh, never place a period where God has placed a comma. So the idea that uh, don't, don't, don't put a period at the end of the Bible because God, God is still speaking. Probably can't see it, but that, act, that quote's actually from a uh, 20th century comedian. So that, that might be kind of a, a good idea if you're a theology. Your church's mission statement is from a comedian, that it might not be the greatest idea. But the idea here is, is, is they're trying to argue by saying, no, don't, don't put a period at the end of the Bible. God has actually put a comma there. God is actually still speaking to us. He's saying something new. He's doing something new. And we would strongly, strongly disagree with that. And we're going to unpack why we think that. Uh, in Porterbrook, you've maybe heard of that, some classes that we offer here. They have a great quote in there talking about the early church fathers. And for centuries, they never wanted to preach or teach anything new. Because new did not mean, like in our culture, it means great or novel or uh, like a great new idea. They did not want to teach anything new because new almost always meant heresy, almost always meant something untrue. And so they were happy to be a broken record preaching the same gospel, the same scriptures over and over and over and over again. And we're very suspect if someone had a brand new idea. But it's still very common today. In the latest edition of uh, Christianity Today, they had uh, an article, or part of an article talking about uh, uh, an American denomination uh, theologically very liberal to, to, to um, they're very theologically liberal, but still a, a popular denomination that you probably know of. And uh, in 2010, they published saying, hey, this is what we're about as a church, and this is something that we're teaching. And they fully acknowledge, they say, we acknowledge that what we're teaching now, the Bible does not teach. We, we realize that what we're teaching is actually contrary to what Scripture teaches 
But the reason we're going to do that is because, quote-unquote, the Holy Spirit is doing a new thing. And we think it's horribly dangerous. We're going to unpack some more scripture that talks about that. It's also a new popular book that just came out, Christian book, that says, yes, the Bible did teach X, and I'm not going to unpack this whole thing, but it says, yes, the Bible did teach this. It's very clear that it does. You can't argue around it. But that's not for us anymore because, again, the Holy Spirit, God's doing a new thing. He's changed the way he's speaking to us, change, changing the way that he's interacting here in the world. And we think that that's horribly, horribly dangerous. Let's look at some scripture that talks about that. Paul, who's writing to another church, he reminds them, he says, he warns them against believing a different gospel than the first one that he preached to them. He said, even if I come back, even if me, even if I come back and teach a different gospel than the one that I first taught to you, let me be cursed. And then he goes on to say, even if an angel, even if a spiritual being shows up, a supernatural being comes and says, hey, no, this is the truth. Not what Paul initially said, not that gospel. There's a new one. Paul says, even if an angel shows up and preaches a different gospel than the one that we first preached to you, that they should be cursed. The end of the book of the, at the very end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, last few verses in the Bible give a very strong warning too about anyone adding anything new to Scripture. And even saying if people do, they will be accursed to that. So the Bible speaks very strongly about not adding to it and that God is not speaking anything new. God wants us to know him, and he intentionally speaks to us, not through promptings that disagree with this, not through brand new ideas and new things and new ways of relating to the world, but he speaks to us through his word, the Bible. And not only does he speak to us through his word, the Bible, but he also speaks to us through his word, capital W, Jesus Christ, his son. Jesus is called the word as a name uh, many times throughout the New Testament. And that's the ultimate way that God is speaking to us, through this word and through Jesus Christ, the word of God. Uh, um, John 1, 1, the beginning of the Gospel of John, starts off by saying this, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So speaking of Jesus, calling him the word. Throughout, throughout the Bible, we see this again and again. God's ultimate and his final word to humanity is the gospel is the Word of God, capital W, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. The Word of God, the, the, the point of all the Old Testament, pointing forward to the gospel, and all of the letters after that pointing back to the gospel. The Word of God is fulfilled in Jesus. And the Bible is all about pointing towards the gospel. That's where it's fulfilled. That's where it's summarized. That was the point of it. Now, if this idea is new for you, if you haven't heard of Jesus or the gospel being uh, the center or the point of the whole Bible, let's unpack this a little bit more and see where this idea comes up elsewhere in Scripture. That God's ultimate word, his final word to us in the Bible is the gospel, is Jesus Christ, the word of God. In Hebrews 1, the very beginning of that book of the Bible, it says, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. So he starts off, the author, uh, author starts off by arguing and saying, hey, throughout all the Old Testament, throughout all of the time up until when he's writing, God spoke to our fathers, to our ancestors, to our people through the prophets and in many different ways back then. 
Verse 2, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. God ultimately speaks to us through his son, Jesus Christ. After Jesus died on the cross and was resurrected uh, from the grave, even uh, yeah, after the angel had shown uh, a couple of the uh, women disciples that Jesus had raised um, from the grave, there was a, a few disciples that, not, not some of the 12, but a few other disciples that were walking on a road, a road to Emmaus, and uh, Jesus shows up there, and he's, he hears the two guys kind of talking about what, what's been going on, and Jesus asks them, so what, what, what are you talking about? What, what are you all worked up about? And they said, are you, are you just a visitor? Have you just been here? Do you not see that the whole city is in an uproar because this Jesus, whom, whom, we, whom we thought, whom we hoped really was this king, really was this Messiah, he died. He was crucified, he was killed, and the whole city is in an uproar over this. And some of the, some of the woman disciples, they, th- they said that the tomb is empty and that Jesus actually rose from the dead, but we don't really believe it. And then we pick it up in the story here. Jesus responds to them. Uh, verse 25, And he said to them, Jesus said to these two disciples, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, this is synonymous for the Old Testament, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And Jesus vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on that road? While he opened up to us the scriptures. Another way of saying this too, kind of the tagline for the Jesus Storybook Bible, which is a a kid's Bible that we used in our kid's ministry for years. Every story whispers his name. So whether it's Moses, whether it's Noah, whether it's Abraham, whether it's the prophets, the Psalms, every story leading up to the cross is is whispering Jesus' name, is, is a foreshadow, is a precursor to what Christ is going to fulfill. And then after the cross, all the letters are, are looking back at the Bible. So if this concept is new, reading the Bible as if Christ is the center, as if the gospel, Jesus' death and resurrection is the point of the whole thing, what it's all leading up to, the climax. If this concept is new to you, which you know it was to me uh, when I first started coming to Hiawatha, this actually is a fantastic book. I, I would recommend it for, for many adults, not, not just kids. And it does a really great job of showing you how uh, many, not all the stories, but uh, uh, many of the stories that it has in there, how they're actually whispering Jesus' name, how they're actually pointing ahead to a greater giant slayer, a greater rescue, or a greater king, or a greater sacrifice. So God speaks to us through his word and through his son. And when he does that, the Spirit also enlightens us. The Holy Spirit teaches us. The Holy Spirit opens closed eyes, blind eyes. The Spirit opens deaf ears and melts hearts of, hearts of stone so that people can receive it. We just saw it in this passage with Jesus uh, in the, on, on the road to Emmaus where it says that Jesus, he uh, interpreted to them in all the scriptures things concerning himself and their eyes were opened. And later on they say, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road while he opened to us the scriptures. 
back to our passage today in, in 1 Thessalonians. Paul starts off by saying, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is that work in you believers. So it's interesting what Paul does here. So he says, you church, you accepted the gospel, you received the gospel, but he doesn't say thank you. He doesn't thank you that you received the gospel, that you accepted it, but he says thank God. And so we see here the Holy Spirit working in the background. We see the Thessalonian church having a responsibility to choose to believe or to not believe the gospel. And then we see kind of behind the curtains that God's Holy Spirit is doing that. He's, he's enlightening them. He's teaching them. He's opening up their eyes, just like Jesus did on the road to Emmaus. So Paul is thanking God for what he's done within them. And so we see this all over Scripture, how there's a partnership. There's a tension between us having responsibility to choose God or to, to accept the gospel, to receive the gospel, and at the same time, lots of language talking about God especially his spirit moving in our hearts, melting hearts of stone, opening up blind eyes. The word, Jesus Christ, is at work in the believers here in Thessalonica. Jesus' speak, Jesus' spirit is working within them. He's growing them and he's transforming them. We're going to see the fruit that comes out of that at the end of the passage in, in just a second. But again, what the spirit's doing, even though the spirit is teaching, is illuminating, is letting people see and believe. Again, he's illuminating what is already written. He's not saying brand new stuff. He's not writing new stuff. He's not telling them new stuff. In Ephesians, another one of Paul's letters, written to a different church, he talks about this Holy Spirit that is helping believers believe, that, he's, that is working behind the scenes. Ephesians 1, 17 through 18, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and the revelation in the knowledge of him. So again, it's a gift. God gives the Holy Spirit to the church, and here he calls him, here he defines or, or calls the Holy Spirit the spirit of wisdom. The Spirit gives Christians wisdom, especially wisdom about revelation in the knowledge of our God, just like we've been talking about all morning. Verse 18, having the eyes of your heart enlightened. The Holy Spirit enlightens us to the truth, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you and what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. So the Spirit does open up our eyes. He does speak to us and tell us that we are alive in Christ, just like Mumford and Sons and many of us have wanted. The Spirit reminds us also of what Jesus taught, what Jesus did, about the truth in Christ's teaching and his life and his death and resurrection. In the Gospel of John, when Jesus is about to die, he's telling his disciples that he's going to send the Holy Spirit. He calls him the helper also here. John 14, 26, Jesus speaking to his disciples, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, so he's telling them, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and he's going to help you. It's going to be one of the main things that the Spirit does. He's going to help you. Whom the Father will send in my name, and this is what this helper will do. This is what the Holy Spirit will do. He will teach you all the things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And then it's a little bit later on in John. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you 
into all truth. So that's one of the main jobs of the Holy Spirit, to enlighten, to teach, to change hearts, to help us to believe the word of God, to accept it and to receive it. <coughs> again, Paul's speaking to another church. He says this again and again and again, over and over to all different churches that he's planted and started. First Corinthians, uh, he says, now we, speaking of Christians again, we have received not the spirit of the world, but we have, uh, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given by us, sorry, by God, and we impart these, we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truth to those who are spiritual. So that truth that the spirit teaches and enlightens, that's why Paul can thank God. That's why he can say, not just thank you, Thessalonian church, for receiving and believing and accepting the word of God, but that's why he can thank God. He can do both. He can say, thank you, God, because he knows that God's spirit does that. He moves in people's hearts and helps them believe. And he can also say, I'm so happy, church, that you believed and received the gospel. So God speaks, the Holy Spirit leads and helps people understand and believe these truths, and then the fruit that comes out of that is that lives, lives are transformed and that people are saved. We see this in our passage today. Let's pick it up again in verse 14. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So, as always, to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them at last. So Paul knows that the word is uh, moving in them. He, do, he knows that the word is transforming the Christians, is at work in them, as he says, because he sees this spiritual fruit. He says, I know you accepted it. I know you believed it. I know that the word is at work in you because you are persevering, because you are surviving as a church amidst persecution, because you're even thriving while suffering. And in that, you're imitating other churches, other churches back in Judea and in, and in Jerusalem, and you're imitating ultimately Christ, who amidst great persecution and trial and pain and suffering persevered and was joyful. So he encourages the church. He says, I know, I know that you accepted the word. I know that you received the word because I see spiritual fruit in you. I see you imitating other churches. I see you imitating your leaders. I see you Im imitating not just in the great times, not just in prosperity and comfort, but I see you imitating even despite and amidst suffering and persecution. And ultimately, through that, you're imitating the prophets, and, and ultimately, you're imitating Jesus Christ. And he says out of that, even more fruit of that is that now the Gentiles are hearing and being saved. So Gentiles just means non-Jews. So now the Gentiles are hearing the same gospel and being saved. It's interesting how Paul speaks about it he, here. He says that the church being hindered to preach the gospel to the Gentiles is something that displeases God and is opposition to all mankind. 
So we think about what, what's opposition to mankind flourishing or meeting their potential or, or yeah, mankind being what they're supposed to be. Do you think of the gospel not going forth? Do you think of that? But that's how Paul describes it. He says, because the Gentiles are hearing and the gospel is spreading forth, not just among the Israelites, not just among the Jewish people, but now going all over the world, that is showing us that you guys are believing, that the Spirit's moving, even though the enemy and the, Jew, the Jewish leaders especially are trying to keep this from happening, keep the gospel from going forward. Most of us in this room today are Gentiles, so that should thrill us. M- many of us have grown up in the church, so we know the story. We know the ending. We know that salvation has come to everyone, not just ethnic Jewish people. But again, this should be a great reminder for us, a great worshipful thing, a great thankful thing where we thank God that his plan from the beginning wasn't just to bless only an ethnic people, only Israel in those lines, but actually through Israel, through ultimate Israel, which is Christ, that salvation will now go to every tribe, tongue, and nation in the world. So in our passage today, we see the word is preached, the spirit moves, and people believe it and accept it and receive it, and out of that comes salvation. Out of that comes transformed lives. We see that God creates through his word. Think about Genesis, the very beginning of the Bible. How does God create? Well, there's nothing there except for the Trinity. How does God create? He speaks. He speaks and things out of nowhere begin to exist. He speaks into lifelessness and life begins. So God creates through his word, and now we see that God again is creating. He's recreating again through his word. He's now recreating. He's now giving life where there was no life through Jesus Christ. Bible speaks a lot about this. Also, Hebrews 1, 2, that same passage we looked at earlier, God has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom, through Jesus, he also created the world. So God created the world by speaking things into existence. And Hebrews 1 says, Jesus is the word, and says that through Jesus, that, has, that is how God created the world. Colossians 1, 16 says uh, this from a different angle, for by him, for by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him, through Jesus, and for him. So now the word of God, now Jesus, through him, we can have the hope of being recreated. We can have the hope of going from a lifeless, dead spiritual body to one full of life. Through the word, which, which is the way God creates, we can now be made alive. We have that hope. Second Corinthians speaks of this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone is a Christian, he is a new creation. We have been recreated. We're something new. The old is gone. The old has passed away. Behold, the new is come. So since we believe that God creates and he also recreates through his word, through his spoken word, through Jesus Christ, the word. Practically, this means as a church, we're always going to be preaching the word. We're going to be singing the word. We're going to be speaking the word to each other, whether in formal corporate ways on Sunday mornings or whether in smaller ways or with friends, family members, community groups. 
We highly value the word, and we're going to preach it to each other. We're going to speak it to each other. We're going to pray it over each other. We're going to sing it to each other. Theologian Michael Lawrence, he writes about this idea. He says, if God's words effectually create every time, what do you think churches should do when they gather? Should they concentrate on entertainment? Should they concentrate on, hey, Sunday morning was really fun or really great or entertaining or I feel, uh, I feel great leaving or, or I didn't uh, have to struggle to listen? Should churches focus on entertainment or should they focus on preaching the word? And he says, I suppose that depends on whether churches, whether they want a ministry designed to amuse the dying or a ministry aimed at raising the dead. That is why we preach the word. That is why we preach the same word, the same gospel, again and again and again and again and again. So as we leave here today, let us be imitators of the church in Thessalonica, just as they were imitators of other churches and ultimately imitators of Christ. First thing, let us, just like we saw today, let us be a church and let us be individuals who receive and accept God's word. The Bible, Scripture. Believe today that it is what it says it is. That it is not just words of men, not just Paul's words, Paul's ideas, or expand to the whole Bible, not just Moses' words or David's words or John's words, but that it really is God's words spoken to us. Not words are... Yeah, sorry. Not words only from men, not just their ideas, not just their thoughts, but the literal spoken word by the God of this universe. 2 Timothy 3.16 speaks of the Bible. It says, all scripture, the entire thing, all scripture is God-breathed. Like we said earlier, God inspired all these authors and all these prophets to write out scripture. And the Bible, speaking of itself, says all the Bible is breathed out by God. So we should let it have authority in our life. It's God speaking to us. That's a call for us as, as a church. Is the Bible our ultimate authority? More than our preferences, more than our experiences, more than our tradition, more than our emotions. Are we giving the Bible ultimate authority in our lives? Second Timothy continues here in this passage. All scripture is God breathed, and it is useful for teaching, for rebuking. God gave us his word to teach us, to help us with rebuking sin, for correction, for training in righteousness. And that so that, this is the fruit that will come out of that, so that the servants of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And again, part of receiving and accepting God's word for us today, just like we saw with, with uh, the church in Thessalonica, are we continually asking the Holy Spirit to open our eyes and to teach us? Are we realizing when we have a hard heart or when we know what the Bible says but just dislike it and try to dismiss it? Or are we coming to hard passages and just skimming over them because we think God doesn't want us to know them or uh, they're just too hard for us to understand? Or are we like the church we just read about today? Are we asking the Holy Spirit? Are we relying on him, saying, do your job, help, help me, enlighten me, open up the eyes of my heart, help me to see it and to believe it? And then secondly, our call today is to receive and accept God's word, capital W. Receive and accept God's ultimate word 
for us, Jesus Christ, his son. It is through Jesus that God wants to be known. Ultimately, that's how God wants to be known. Colossians 1.15 says, speaking of Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God. You want to know who God is, what he looks like? Colossians 1 says, look at Jesus. Jesus is God's last and final and ultimate word to us. He is the fulfillment of all the other words prior to that, and he's what all the other words written after that are pointing back to. Jesus Christ is our ultimate and final word. So today, whether for the first time accepting him and receiving him through the power of the Holy Spirit moving within you, whether it's through the millionth time, I pray that we would all accept and receive God's word, Jesus Christ, and through him have new life, have eternal life, have spiritual life as God continues to speak and to create, to speak and to recreate in powerful ways. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we don't have to wonder. We don't have to guess. We don't have to seek and find you, but that you tell us who you are. and You tell us how to return to you, how to get back a relationship with you. God, help us to believe that, and when we don't believe that, Spirit, change our hearts. Help us to believe Scripture and that it's true. And God, for us, or for most of us probably at some times in our life, when we, when we wish that there is more, when we wish that the clouds would part and audible voices would say, this is my word, or, or this is proof that I'm real, or this is what I want you to do in my life. God, in, in those times, uh, help, us, help us to trust you, to know that you gave us enough of your word in Scripture. You said, this is enough, this is sufficient to know me, to be drawn near to me, and and help us to just rest in the, the, the bit of mystery or the just great place that you put us in where we don't know everything, where we have to rely on you, where we're not equal to you in our knowledge of everything. So, Holy Spirit, we, we need you. We need to rely on you. Ask us, we ask you to, to change our hearts and to help us to believe. I pray this in your powerful name, Jesus. Amen.